We are going to continue to look at our parables of Jesus for this sermon series today. And so I'm going to invite you to read along either in your own Bible, the Pew Bible, or in the, the bulletin today. We're going to look at the parable of the talents, and that is in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. So friends, I invite you to hear these words from the gospel of Matthew. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with two talents came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy with, many, with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I rape where I did not sow, and gather where I did not scatter then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I have, would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all who, those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, Throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Just like last week's scripture that Julie read and, and preached for us, the focus of the parable that we have before us today is not really about the details in the scripture itself, but about what happens during, during the scripture. Julie read for us the Good Samaritan, and along the pathway, this long and dangerous road from Jerusalem to Jericho, this man was attacked by robbers. 
Now, the point of that parable is not about the lack of good policing or the dangerous highway that exists between Jerusalem and Jericho. That's not the point. That's merely the setting of the parable. And so today, the passage here that we read is not really about the economics of investing and about doubling your money. It's really about how these people, these slaves, these servants act in the absence of their master. The setting includes the master and the servants, the talents, but the point cuts a little bit deeper. Now, if you were to actually uh, look at most sermons that are preached on this passage, there's a lot of focus on talent, right? Talent, your skills, your abilities, your experience being used. It's often a focus of stewardship campaigns where a preacher like me tells you that God has entrusted these things into you and you've got to develop those and use those not only in the church but in the kingdom of God. And that is completely true. That's one reason why a lot of preachers go to that passage. It is, in fact, partly about what it's about. Whatever has been given to us needs to be developed and then put to good use. It doesn't need to be hidden away. But a talent in the Bible is a lot more than just simply something that's entrusted uh, to you. In fact, it's in a way a, a unit of money. This has come up in a previous, a previous uh, discussion on the parables that we've had this uh, May. A talent is in a sense uh, an organizing number for the amount of money it takes to build up to 15 years that a day laborer would make. So if you think about uh, sort of a, 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 you know, a job that is not really that well earning, but you still are making a, a living to get by from day to day, it's 15 years of that salary. Now, so if somebody gets five talents, they're getting 75 years worth of earnings, right? That's a lot of money that's being entrusted into these people. Two talents, 30 years, right? One talent, 15 years. There is a lot of finance being invested into these people. And there's no direction. Do you notice that? The master does not tell them what to do. He just looks at their ability, their history, their, their, their track record, if you will. How have they been trustworthy? How have they done what is good and right? And so the master is not just sort of, in a sense, investing in everybody equally, is he? No, he goes to the one who has a more proven track record and gives him five talents, 75 years worth of funding. But to the one who only has one talent, that's the one, I guess, that he saw as being uh, less effective. You know, we don't want to think about ourselves on that scale, do we? Or are we the kind of person that would receive one talent? Or are we the kind of person that would receive five talents? But again, that's just the scenario. That's the setting. That's not really the depth of what this is all about. When the master comes back, he expects to see some good news, right? 
And when he comes back, he finds the one who had five talents had doubled that and to make 10. And the person who had two, four, but the person with one buried it in the ground. He kept it safe, but he gave right back what he had been given. What did the people in the story do? What did the people in the parable do with what they had been given? Two of them tried to do something with it, right? We don't know what would have happened if they lost it all in Bitcoin, right? We don't know what would happen if they lost it all in the stock market and said, well, you gave me five, I only have two left because I lost it. Maybe the master would have said, well, I'm disappointed, but at least you did something. Maybe he would say that. We don't know, right? But we do know that the master expected them to do something in the meantime, not just to simply hold on to what they had been given. They're supposed to take care of what they've been given, not just to simply safeguard it. They were supposed to be productive in some way. Two of the people in the story take risks, and they benefit from those risks. One person is afraid. He's very safe and tries to be the one who does not anger his master. Notice that the the two that were given more don't seem to be afraid of the master at all. They don't seem to go and put it in the bank where they can make a little bit of interest, right, to do the kind of safe thing. No, they go and risk. Maybe they had a better read of the master than the one who only received one. Two take risks, one plays it safe. We all know that life is challenging, and we're tempted to both be safe and sometimes also tempted to put way too much risk into what we're doing, don't we? Sometimes we want to play it so safe that we never take any risks. And some of us don't know what the word safe means. We take risk after risk after risk. Graduates and church, I want to tell you that it is important for us to be busy in the kingdom of God. I I think it's important for us to understand that God wants us to get up from our pews and to do something with what we've been given. And we're going to have to take a little bit of risk in what it means to do the things that God's calling us to do. But each of us, graduates and church, we're going to have to think about what level of risk are we willing to put into this. I would imagine that good old Methodists who build systems to safeguard everything within the church are going to tell us that we need to be risky, but just a little bit risky, right? There's not a lot of risk when it comes to committees telling us what we can and can't do. We want to be safe. And I'm, listen, I'm a Methodist. I'm a fifth generation Methodist. I am real careful, okay? I mean, think about when I first got here nine years ago. I didn't really try to upset the apple cart. I really tried to do everything that Reed ever did, okay? We want to be safe. But at the same time, we need to take some calculated 
risks, to do something, to put our feet out there, to take a leap of faith so that maybe God can do something in and through us. Mainline Protestants like us Methodists, we, we want to take some risks, but we don't want to be stupid. We don't want to put everything out there, right? And yet, we don't want to get into the situation where we are so safe that we never exit the building. That we, in a sense, lock ourselves in a prison of our own security and end up taking whatever God has placed into our hands and dig a hole in the ground and put it right there. There is some risk that is called into each disciple's life. Think about Peter, who is called by God, and he goes out like one of the person given five talents or two talents. He risks his life. He is shipwrecked. He is beaten. He is treated so poorly, and yet he keeps going out there risking life and limb for the gospel. And yet we have other faithful people who stay closer to home. They, they stay in the church of Jerusalem, and they're still risking some things, right? They're not off on the road like, like Paul or Peter even, but they're there in Jerusalem. They're still putting some risk into it. They're not simply like the disciples after the resurrection at the beginning, locking themselves in a room never to come out for the fear of what might happen to them. No, eventually when the Spirit unleashed the church into the wild, even the ones who stayed close to home were taking some risks for the sake of the mission of God. There are some risks that we are going to have to take. We don't want to take so many that we end up losing our way. And yet at the same time, if we lock ourselves in a prison of safety, we may not be able to look back at the end of things and say that we did very much with what we had been given. I want us all to consider this question. What has God placed into our hands? What has God placed into our hands? It could be money, it could be a passion, it could be skills and abilities, like the word talent means in our current culture. It could be a message that we want to share with others. What has God placed into our hands? And if we don't know that answer, we need to start the journey of sort of figuring out what God has placed in our hands. Whether it be learning our spiritual gifts or taking a strengths course here at the church and finding out what it is that God has placed in our hands. What has God uniquely given to each of us? And what are we being called to do with that? How is God asking us to take a leap of faith with what has been given to us? I sort of joke around with people who are joining the church, and I, I talk to them about what it means to make your vows. And we'll have some people joining our church in a little bit today. And we make vows of prayers and presence and gifts and service and our witness. Now, when I talk about gifts, I do talk about financial gifts, but I also talk about what it means to share your abilities, to share your experiences and your skills and your talents with the church. And I mention that we often have in our church family a lot of educators. We have several people that work in local elementary schools. 
And when they come to church, some of them are willing to go and help with vacation Bible school. They're willing to go and help in the nursery, or they're willing to go and help in children's Sunday school. But we also have some teachers who say, please don't let me even see a child, okay? I don't want to deal with them until Monday. (laughs) Whatever God has placed into your hands, it, it could be your profession, but it may not be. It may be a passion. It may be some sort of skill set that you have. Sometimes people who are in the financial world don't want to go on the finance committee, but we make them anyway. <laughs> right? People who are lawyers, we, we put them on the trustees or staff parish. But sometimes we also need people who just have a passion for Jesus, who want to serve in some way, and they find themselves in these committees, and they make such a difference, even though... They may not do that for their daily job, and it's because they have some sort of talent, some sort of God-given skill or passion that has been infused into their very being, and they're able to use it. And it's not just about doing something in this church, friends. It's about what happens with the things that have been given to us when we walk out the door. Think about those moments where you feel like somebody needs to do something about this. Well, guess what, church? I hate to tell this to you, but you're somebody. When you think somebody needs to do something, often there needs to be a mirror in front of you reminding you that your name is somebody. Maybe we don't need to be a people called Christians, maybe we need to be called somebodies. That kind of makes us sound a little proud though, doesn't it? What I mean is, is that we need to be seen as not just a club of people who belong to Christ, but people who live a Christ-like witness. We don't need to bury our faith. We don't need to bury our God-given skills and talents into the ground when we leave the church and go out into the world. God is asking us to take some risks. Maybe not meaning that every single person who leaves this place today is going to become an international missionary, but maybe somebody is. Wouldn't it be amazing if somebody left here today and felt a calling to be a missionary? Maybe somebody is being called to do something this afternoon with the the things that have been shared in their lives when they would normally pass by on the other side of the road, like the priest and the Levite from last week's message. We don't want to be like the third person in this story who is so afraid about what might happen that he didn't do anything. He buried it in the ground and waited a long time for the master to return, which means that in the time in between, he didn't do anything. Think about that. He received one talent. He had it in his hands, and he was so driven by fear, he dug a hole in the ground, and he put it in there. I don't know how long the master was gone. But when he finally came back, that means the hardest thing he ever did was dig a hole. He didn't do anything in between. 
When we're called to leave here, we're called to take some risks, to do things that draw us out of our comfort zone, and to simply live as people who are willing to go where God calls them to go. It means that we have to put our heart into what we are doing instead of simply going through the motions of our day. One of the points of this parable, according to a, a commentator, is that the greatest risk of all may be taking no risks. The greatest risk of all may be living in the prison of your own design. That may be the greatest risk, to never put your heart out there, to never take a leap of faith, to never allow yourself to do something remarkable. That may be the greatest risk of all. Just recently, we had the final four in college basketball, and my, my Duke Blue Devils lost in the final four to UNC, which really stings. Afterwards, like any time, there is a big loss. Some of the players ended up crying. Their emotions were just fully invested in what they were doing, and they started to cry. And Coach K, and I know some people hate this guy, but Coach K said this, which I thought was beautiful. He said, when you put your heart into something, when you really put your heart into something, when it's over, there will always be tears. There will either be tears of joy because you made it, or there'll be tears of sorrow because you came that close. And I love that image, don't you? When you put your heart into something, there's almost that emotional release. It's either going to be tears of joy because of what God has done, what we've been able to be a part of. They're both tears of joy. Excuse me, tears of sorrow. That it didn't turn out the way we hoped it would. Maybe the greatest risk is to not put your heart into it and to feel sort of indifferent at the end of it all. Church, I think we are called to put our heart into this life of discipleship. To not make it one of the things that we're a part of in this world, but to make it part of the core of who we are. Whether it's these graduates when they go off to school to live from a a core of faith, from the kind of ethics and morals and beliefs that they have been given by their family and by their church. To all of us who go out into the world each and every week carrying what we've learned, hoping to be more like Christ in our hearts and in our minds when we go from this place. In order to be that kind of person, to be enabled by the Spirit to live the kind of life that Christ is calling us to live, I think first what this parable teaches us is that we have to learn to resist fear. There are some fears that are simply not true and they end up holding us back. There are some fears that are just imaginary. They're what ifs that probably would never ever come to be, but in our minds they are so serious that they limit us from taking the next step forward. We need to learn to resist some fears. 
And once we do that, we can take the second step, which is to take a little risk, to try something a little new, to serve in some way that might call us to get out of our comfort zone and to see what happens. Maybe the greatest risk of all is to never take the step forward. Let us be not a people who live in a prison of our own safety, but a people who go bravely and courageously into the world as a part of the kingdom of God. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us, and I hope that you found this message to be meaningful and life-giving. I look forward to you joining us next time, either on our live stream on Sunday mornings here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. It's at 10 o'clock a.m. Or if you want to join us in person, you're welcome to do so. Also here at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. You can find out more about our church family, who we are, what we do, and how to get involved, as well as more information about our worship services at www.bluffparkumc.org. Hope you have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you next time.